feeling unqualified, inadequate for the task that you believe God has in front of you? Stick around. We've got a program designed just for you. Next on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Isaiah said he had unclean lips. Moses, slow of speech. Paul, oh wretched man that I am. You know, if you feel unqualified for the task you believe God has in front of you, well, you're in good company. Many good women and men throughout history have found themselves in that same position. So when you feel unqualified, what gets you through it? Well, we have some answers for you in the life of David, no less. 1 Samuel is where we find ourselves today, beginning in chapter 16. Here's Pastor Phil Howard with today's broadcast of Truth For Today. We start a new series today. We start in 1 Samuel 16, the life of David, a man in pursuit of God. Uh, I'm glad to get here. Uh, I preached on this 20 years ago, and I know that you remember it. Most of you won't even hear. Uh, it's uh, one of the grandest uh, subjects in all the Bible. And uh, we're going to look at this man, uh, his triumphs and his tragedies, and see what God says to us. Today, as we visit 1 Samuel 16, uh, there's notes for you, by the way, in the bulletin. Uh, with our technicolor provided by Marge, uh, you're so spoiled. We, we hand you notes. We give out. If you don't get it, you're really, you're bad off. You're, not, you're asleep. Don't tell me. I mean, three ways it's coming. At you. I'm yelling at you. We've got it on the screen. You've got it in print. And someone says, what did he speak on? <laughs> I, I, I didn't get it. Wake up. Wake up. And I'm not talking to Susie. Um, that uh, when you look at this life we're going to begin to examine, uh, you're going to see that David is mentioned in the Bible more than any other character other than Jesus Christ. Occupies more space in the Bible. Probably wrote more when you look at the Psalms. This is no insignificant character by the time you get through the revelation of him but oh, how insignificant he starts out. Have you ever felt uh, unqualified? Have you ever been turned down for a job? Have you ever been considered the runt of the litter? Have you ever been the one nobody would choose for a team, and you're the one child your parents never talk about? I've noticed this in family systems. It's the truth that you only hear about the outstanding ones. You never hear about the heartbreaks. Not until you really, really, really get to know them. And so many times there's a missing child out there. I know of relationships that I have with different people. Man, my son got this promo, and my daughter did this, and this, and that. And then only after a depth relationship develops, yeah, I've got one of those. Yeah, we don't talk about it. Well, you sure talk about the straight-A student? David is not talked about by his family. Very insignificant. And we're going to see 
how God does something with someone that nobody in Bethlehem suspected there was even a boy around there that God would want to do anything with. But don't feel bad. I looked up some things like this. Thomas Edison, one of his teachers said when he was in the primary grades, he's too stupid to learn. It was said of Albert Einstein that he did not talk until he was age four, did not read until he was seven, and was considered mentally slow by his elementary teachers. Think of Abraham Lincoln, elected president in 1860, grew up on an isolated farm, and had only one year of formal education. In those early years, he was exposed to barely six books. In 1832, he lost his job and was defeated in the race for the Illinois legislature. In 1833, he failed in business. In 1834, he was elected to the state legislature, but in 1835, his sweetheart died, and in 1836, he had a nervous breakdown. In 1838, he was defeated for Speaker of the House, and in 1843, he was defeated for nomination for Congress. In 1846, he was elected to Congress, but in 1848, lost the renomination. In 1849, he was rejected for a federal land officer appointment. And in 1854, he was defeated for the Senate. In 1856, he was defeated for the nomination of vice president. And in 1858, he was again defeated for the Senate. He was just an ordinary president. Huh? The man raised up to sew a nation back together. Have you ever felt disqualified? Saul is uh, a man God's rejected in chapter 15. And God sends Samuel on a mission. He said, I want you to go down to Bethlehem. There's a man down there named Jesse. He has eight sons and two daughters. And among his sons, I've chosen one to be the next king of Israel. Samuel goes down. He's afraid that Saul will find out something's up. So he tells the Lord, I'm afraid to go down there. What do you want me to do? He said, just go down and have an act of worship down there. Say you're going to go sacrifice and we'll use the occasion for you to look over Jesse's boys. The old prophet's old now and his own boys have been disqualified. They're dishonest rebels. He goes down there. And he's been running around a king that is head and shoulders taller than anybody else in Israel. I mean, this is the Arnold of Israel. This is Rambo he's been running around with. And now he goes down and uh, he asks Jesse, do you have any boys? God's looking for a king. Eliab comes out, the oldest, burly and, and obnoxious, as you find in chapter 17. He has ever makings of an older brother bully that knows everything. And even the old prophet said, this is him. Wow, this is God's man. God says, no, 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 Samuel. I'm not impressed with what is on the externals of a man. I look on the inside. Man looks on the outside. I'm looking for what goes on on the inside. 
the last tall man has proven to be disapproved. So they start in there. And imagine this. When Jesse calls all the boys, he calls seven sons. He doesn't even include David. David is not even in. I mean, could you imagine? I'm coming to see you, Mr. Smith. I'll have all the boys there. I get there. Well, okay, this is it. Well, there's one that's a nothing. You wouldn't want to see him. I figure all that you need to see is here. What I don't want you to see, I've given him a few puppy dogs to watch after. David's case, a few sheep. And so the old prophet, he waits and he goes through seven boys. He said, I haven't seen anything yet that God wants to be his next king. And so Samuel makes inquiry. He says, is there anything else you got? He said, yeah, I've got the youngest, and wait till we find out what that means. Uh, I've got a little ruddy boy over here. He's 12 years old. Most scholars say he was 12 when he was anointed, 17 when he killed Goliath, 30 when he became the king. 18 years between his anointing and him ever becoming the king. You see, if God's going to do something great in your life, he may have a 10-year hiatus between the time he starts working in you to get you ready for the position. You don't just instantly jump into office. And so there were six obstacles that had to be overcome in David's life that you would say he could never be a king under these terms. Let's look at the six things. First thing is parental displeasure. Samuel says, Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. First thing that is very obvious is David has grown up with parental displeasure. He's not a favored son. Jesse's not proud of him. Uh, and Jesse makes two fatal errors that parents make all the time. Number one, he did not have equal appreciation for his children. He had favorites, and David obviously wasn't a favorite. Uh, second thing, he didn't have any mutual respect for David. Uh, he probably thought of David, you would never amount to anything anyway. Uh, there's no need of bringing you before a prophet when he's looking for something God would use. He may have grown up with the name stupid. He may have grown up with a dad saying, you'll never amount to anything. He may have grown up with a dad that said, uh, I won't believe it until I see it. He did not have a good relationship with Jesse, and there's no mention of his mother. Some have even ventured to say that the first seven boys might have been by a different mother than Jesse, because they wonder where this red hair comes from. Ruddy means red, and it's probably not complexion. It's probably red hair, and let's put freckles on him. And nobody with red hair and freckles could ever amount to anything, right? 
And so there was that parental displeasure. He was not respected and honored by his dad. It's a terrible thing to not even be invited to the dinner where they're looking for somebody God might want to use. Uh, Second of all, peer rejection. When you pick up in chapter 17, his older brother Eliab just uproots him. He, what are you doing here, you runt? Get out of here. You've come down here to, uh, you're messing up the warfare plans. Flake off, Roach. We don't need you. An older brother, can you imagine ever being very much when you're the youngest of eight boys? The rivalry among that many boys. If you could do that, you could survive piranha. You know, I mean, this is tough. Uh, peer rejection. David said in Psalms 69.8, I am a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my own mother's sons. He said in Psalm 27.10, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Do you think he knew anything about a dysfunctional family where he wasn't favored? Pecking order. Uh, he's called the youngest. Do you get that? When Samuel says, you got any more? He said, well, <laughs> yeah, uh, we have one. There is still the youngest. In the Hebrew, it's hagaton, And it means small. It could be the youngest in an order. But it had a secondary meaning of insignificant, unimportant. And uh, the runt, we would call him. You're never going to pick a runt to be a quarterback. And so he says, yeah, the youngest, I've got an insignificant boy. He's unimportant to the family order. Uh, I can't imagine you wanting him. The boy that is the youngest. You see, our culture, as maybe their culture, is impressed with looks expertise in every level. We want the best out of the order. And God doesn't choose that way. There was nothing God saw in the other seven that he was impressed with. Uh, bring the youngest. Bring your insignificant boy. Bring the unimportant boy. Bring the boy. By the way, Jesse never even gives his name. He's the youngest. Well, what's his name? We don't know his name till the end of the narrative. He probably grew up with, squirt, get in here. Runt, come on. Youngest, insignificant, come to dinner. It's amazing how many men I've seen grow up with dads that never made them feel anything but insignificant. And those who had a dad that treated them like they had worth, are the richest of men. Well, it's pedigree. Where's mama? There's no mention of mama. But you know one thing we know about David's family tree? We know that his great-grandmother was a Moabite. Her name was Ruth. And the Moabites were hated. They were the most hated ethnic group by the Jews because as Israel was coming out of Egypt, they asked for help from the Moabites, and the Moabites would not lend any help. They wouldn't let them pass through their territory. And even they got a false prophet named Balaam to try to prophesy against Israel. So to say that you had a Moabite mother or grandmother was saying you are ethnically 
bringing an enemy into the line of Israel. Terrible ancestry. And if you go beyond that, in his ancestral tree, Perez slept with a prostitute and brought another child in that line. So there's a lot of stuff in this ancestral line that would never commend you to be used of God or for sure to be the next king of Israel. There might be that in your family. Alcohol, drugs. You might be in a long line of alcoholics, a long line of drug users, a long line of immoral people. God surely couldn't do anything with you. Uh, physically, he's not big. He's small. They're not impressed. He's only 12 years old. I mean, I just, as I was praying today, I thought, God, uh, maybe you're going to talk to a 12-year-old boy or girl today that's going to make the future of this church. Uh, never despise what God can do in a child's heart. God started with David when he was 12. Uh, even Samuel's unimpressed. And then in the midst of all of this is perilous times. The predecessor, we've got Saul. Saul's going to be on the throne for another 10 years of David's life, at least. Oh, 18 years of his life. For the next 18 years, a man that's been rejected of God, the nation is in chaotic condition. It's in the hands of a man that will not obey God. A man that edits the will of God to suit his own purposes. Samuel has become old. The children of Israel do not trust his sons. And they want to have a king like the other nations. And so we get Saul. And when we go after him, he's taller than anybody else. He starts out seemingly humble. But something happens in his position. I've seen that happen to men. When they came from nothing to something, in the something they often fail because they couldn't take a promotion. Can you handle a promotion without going zonkers? Uh, and here we have David stepping in, called at a time that he won't be able to change anything for 18 years. The times were bad. Samuel, God's voice, is aging and will soon die. Saul, a man the Spirit of God's been taken from, will die on Mount Gilboa, is going to chase David down like he's a dog and an animal. And in the midst of all of that, God is working. God is working. Chapter 3, Eli's house is going to pot. He raises up Samuel. Chapter 8, the nation wants a king against the will of God. It was not God's timing. God lets them have Saul. Saul sins in chapter 13. He will not wait for Samuel long enough. Chapter 15, he does not kill off all that he killed with the Amalekites. He kept the good. He listened to the people. So what a setting. What a setting. It is amazing that God uses perilous times to do some of his best work in a heart and a life. And sometimes we have to watch. Our times are perilous. Our times are wicked in many ways. But our times is a time for God to still be working. He's still talking to people. He's still calling Davids. He's still calling Mary Slesslers. He's still calling uh, people to do his work. He hasn't stopped working in the midst of the peril. And we can often say all the good people were in the past. 
No, as long as God's still talking, he may have somebody in this congregation today he talks to that may change the history of who knows what. Our next president can be here. The next pastor of this church. The next leader of a junior program. The next wave of missionaries. God may speak your name today. He did at Bethlehem over 1,000, 3,000 years now ago. Uh, what was God looking for in a man? He said he was looking for somebody that would be after his own heart. Notice that in chapter 13. When uh, Saul sinned and disobeyed God, God said through Samuel, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. A person after God's own heart. Not the tallest, not who you would be looking for, not who would even impress a prophet, but somebody that I've been watching and I've been looking at the workings of their heart for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth that he may show himself mighty on behalf of them whose hearts are right towards him. And he said, I've got a boy. I've got a neighbor to Saul over here, and there's something going on in the inside of this boy that is the material I'm going to build, a dynasty and a king for Israel. I'm even going to let Messiah come out of his household. What is it? Someone who has a heart for God. And what does it mean to have a heart for God? It's a heart that's in harmony with God's will. It's someone who loves what God loves. Somebody who wants what God wants. It's somebody that uh, is united with God's purposes and desire. That's not going to edit God's will. It's not going to tell God what to do. They're in harmony. Just their heart resonates with the heart of God. That's all. They're just... They're not at war with God. They're just saying, speak, Lord, your servant here. Here am I. I'll do whatever. My heart resonates with you. God is seeking after a person whose heart is right toward him. He's looking for a person who will obey him. He told Saul in chapter 15, uh, you didn't obey me. You're offering me sacrifices to make up for your disobedience, I just want someone that will do what I say. It's simple. <laughs> Who gets to call the shots in your life? Who will you obey? Will you obey God first and foremost or last and not? Who knows? Obedience is simple word. <laughs> It seems so simple to do, especially when I'm telling my child to do it. You know, I don't want my kids to get in an argument over what verbs and adjectives I used in the command. I want them to do it. Don't be trying to be an editor on God's word. You know the command, love your neighbor. I wonder if that's a present tense or past. Don't, don't try to play scholar. God didn't write the Bible to scholars. He wrote it to his people in language simple enough that said, are you going to do it? 
And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Our time together has come to a close here, but as we leave you, we'd like to do so with our address and phone number if you'd like to contact us. And we would love to hear from you. You see, Truth For Today airs here on KFAX in part through financial partnerships with our listeners, such as yourself. If the Lord is prompting you to make either a one-time gift or be a monthly donor, we would love to hear from you. No gift is too small. No gift is too large. Please take a moment and contact us at 855-833-9864. That's 855-833-9864. And as our way of saying thank you for your partnership with us, we'll make you a TFT sustainer, which includes our quarterly newsletter, a once-a-year special gift. Take a break with Pastor Phil, the weekly video devotional, into your email box every week. Again, it's all part of our TFT Sustainers Package. Contact us and learn more at 855-833-9864, or simply stop by our website, valleybible.org. And you can also write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. As you stop by our website, valleybible.org, please remember other resource materials are available there. Other series is taught by Pastor Phil, some of the books that he's authored. You can also find out about Valley Bible Church, who we are and what we believe, how to get here, times that we worship, and you're more than welcome to join us. Again, you'll find it all at valleybible.org. Stop by and pay us a visit. Then drop us an email and let us know you did pay us a visit. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Mm-hmm.